Thanks, Karen. If you want to um, keep your Bibles open, we'll uh, pray and we'll look at that together. Dear God, thank you for these uh, words of yours and help us understand this morning, be shaped by them and change our lives accordingly. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, uh, There was uh, this year an art exhibition in Moscow and among many works in that art show was this beauty called um, Escape of the Goldfish. Now, I don't know if you can see the artwork that clearly, um, but if you pay a bit of attention, you can see there's a goldfish bowl over here. And in that goldfish bowl is um, a goldfish that's been artistically put there. There's a picture of the open sea. And then there's the gold, another goldfish which is jumping into the open sea. Escape of the goldfish. All right, you get it? Um, now, this is one of many artworks in this particular um, exhibition that was being shown in Moscow. And to keep the exhibition safe, what they did was hire some security guards to look after it and also make sure they had CCTV footage installed so they could check about any mishaps. Unfortunately, what happened during the art show is that this wonderful art piece, Escape of the uh, Goldfish, was vandalised. And no one had a clue. The security guard on duty didn't know what happened. And so they went to the CCTV footage to find out exactly what had gone wrong. And this is a picture from the CCTV footage. It shows here the security guard who'd been hired to look after the the exhibit. And uh, what he does is um, he walks over to the, the bowl and he plays with the goldfish in the bowl Then he touches the one on the wall and gives it a wiggle. And then he puts his hand on the painting and pulls the goldfish off the wall and then tries to eat it. Now, um, I'm not quite sure what he was thinking. um, But I think it's safe to say that you would not rely on this guy to look after your art exhibition, would you? Would you? Hands up if you would. Who's going to give him a job? Who would hire this guy to look after anything? Do you think he's reliable as a security guard? For what it's worth, just, I just got to clear this up because, um, as you know, last week I was visiting over at Hurstville Grove and, and um, giving this talk there. Uh, I got a few questions afterwards, a little bit of suspicion. Um, Kim Jang, do you know what the questions were? No, I thought you, you looked like you knew. No, the questions surrounded me and whether I had been in a past life a security guard. Um, <laughs> and I, I assured them that was not the case and I didn't bomb out as a security guard for trying to eat a not even real goldfish, and then went into ministry. That's not what happened with me, okay? Um, but this guy is uh, very unreliable as a security guard, isn't he? It's worth uh, just asking ourselves in life, what do or who do we rely on in life in general? We find ourselves in many different life scenarios, some wonderful, some more challenging. And when we find ourselves in those scenarios, what is it that we're putting our, our, our trust in? What are we relying on? Um, maybe you enter a new chapter of life. You move house, you move schools, um, uh, empty nest scenario itself. In those situations, what is it that you are relying on? Or maybe on the home front, the family dynamic has been impacted. Things have changed somehow. Um, there's tension being put on the family from without or, or from within. What do you rely on in that scenario? Or maybe in your workplace, uh, there's some stress which has arisen. Or maybe your finances are under stress at home. Or perhaps a health condition has read its head a, a bad thing. In all those scenarios, you will find yourself turning to something to give yourself some kind of reassurance. You rely on something in those scenarios. It might be you rely on your intellect to get you out of trouble. I'll think a way through this. I know the answer. I can research it. Or maybe you go and find a doctor to give you a solution. Um, or, or some other expert. I'll find a doctor. They'll know. An expert can tell me how to handle this. Or maybe you hope and ask for someone else to step in and overfunction and take responsibility for you. 
or maybe you turn to something else entirely. Now, in all those scenarios, we all rely on something. As we come to God's word today, I'll ask you a question. I think the answer is fairly obvious, but I'll ask it anyway. When we come to church here and we hear about a question of what do we rely on, what do we think the answer should be? That's a really underwhelming answer. I'm really... I'll try it again. Okay, it should be a resounding group answer, and it's, 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 it's a very easy one. There's two options. It's either three letters or five letters. All right, okay. So I hope you figured that out now. So when we, when we come in and we hear the question, what do you rely on? What should the answer be? God or Jesus. God or Jesus. That's right, fine. I'll take those. They're well done. Okay. Uh, and we're confident that's the answer? Good, I'm done here. Alex, back to you. No, but... But what makes Jesus reliable? And, and, and why is it that in life that we find other things that we turn to? So what we're going to do is look at this passage in Luke 9. It's going to give us a few scenarios. I'll pause at various points, have a quick think about what we rely on in, in different scenarios in life. And hopefully we'll see that we can rely on Jesus. And might, we might just take one or two little things away to start working on in our lives, hopefully. Um, now, last week we started this series in Luke. For us, it's a sort of a continuation. We've gone through summer with Luke. And we started a combined series with Hurstville Grove on Luke last week. Um, Matt Yo was here preaching. What did he preach on last week? Perfect. None of you have an idea. That's great. I love that. Um, <laughs> chapter 8 says Alistair. Well done. Um, was it something to do with um, hearing the word and putting it into practice in our lives and seeing that play out through various uh, occurrences? Yeah, okay. I think it was. Okay, good. I did listen to it and, um, and now I made a note that that's what it was about. Um, and then I asked Matt, and he said, oh, it wasn't exactly what it was about. I said, okay, well, <laughs> so pretend this never happened here. This part. Okay, um, but we've got to think today about, in chapter 9, what do we rely on? And hopefully, if uh, in the future someone comes and asks you, what was this one about, you'll be able to say, it's about what I rely on in life, and you know the answer. Um, so there you go. Uh, but we're looking here, chapter 9, verse 1. He calls the twelve together and we see that he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And so here we are, the, the scenario here, Alex's backpack for us, if you will. He says, don't worry about your backpack. Off you go. All right. And the job is to go out, proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal, to set people right, to, to set the spiritual things aside, to set the physical things aside and to say, here comes the kingdom of God and it can bring restoration. That's what they're going for. Don't take anything with you. Find accommodation as you go. You'll be fine. And in verse 5, wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony. Just move on somewhere else. Okay? If they don't receive go somewhere. Take this message out. Take it to people who want to hear it. And here's the remarkable bit for me. Because as I read the Gospels, um, often I look at the apostles and I think to myself, you know what, sometimes these guys get it wrong. Can you think of an example where a, a follower of Jesus gets it wrong? No, you can't. Just yes or no. Can you think of one? Yes, uh, yes you can. Joel, you've got a specific one for Matthew 16. Yeah, Jesus says, well, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to die on the cross. And Peter's like, no, nah, mate, that's not how it's going to happen. Exactly. That's a great example. Um, often they get it wrong. But look at chapter 9, verse 6. What happens? And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. They go and do what he says. Not only do they do it, it actually works out for them. It's a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing that happens here. And along the way, we know Jesus has promised he'll sustain them. He obviously does because it works out. They go and they do this mission that Jesus sent them to do. Now, it's worth just pausing there and just thinking about who sustains us in life. 
how much do we rely on having a full backpack in life that we pack ourselves? If you watch TV, the advertising tells you, others have, therefore you should have. Or, you don't have, but you should have. And we get told that to find some sort of security in life, we have to have lots of stuff. Um, I spoke to someone who, um, who said that after they do their shopping each week, they feel more secure in life. And I guess that makes some sense, doesn't it? Because you've got your food, great, it feels good. I mean, we could probably all resonate that with, a, uh, with that a little bit. But what does the Bible tell us about where we find our security? Is it in what we have? How much food's in the pantry? In, in how we play the same game as our society? Is that where you find your security? Or are those things gifts from God? Because God gives you all things. And he doesn't give it to you so you can stock it up for yourself. He gives it to you so you can share it with others in generosity. That's the key, isn't it, to think about. Well, here's Jesus sending them out on their mission and providing for them. It's actually no different for you and me. He will provide for our needs. I'm going to hazard a guess here that for many of us, there are not many times in life that we've sat back and not actually had anything to our name. Now, that certainly does happen. Don't get me wrong. But how lucky are we that we're in that scenario? What do we do with what God's given us? Do we share it with others? I wonder if anyone knows what this is. A brain, well done. A human brain. Um, Normally, a human brain is about the size of two clenched fists, apparently, if you want to clench your fists and have a look at that. Uh, That's normally the case. My brain's like about this kind of big, so that's um, about 15 clenched fists worth. No? Okay. I thought that was funny. Um, They weigh uh, about a a kilo and a half, a bit less than that, 1.3 kilos, and they can store a lot of information. Now, if you're going to go and buy a new computer, one of the things you'd want to know is, how much can this particular computer store? Okay? And computers have a value associated with their storage, a number that determines how much they can handle. You know what I'm talking about? How much would a... You know, if you're going to buy a computer now, how much storage would you want that computer to have? Two terabytes. All right, anyone else? Is that quite a lot? Minimum terabyte. A terabyte minimum. All right. Okay. Alex thinks that's a lot. How much do you think? 256 gig. A quarter of a terabyte. Okay. All right, so it's a varied response here. Two, one, a quarter. And I want to go for 128 gig because that's not going to work. Sorry, no. That's a thumb drive, people. Um, Okay, so that's quite a bit. So from two down to a quarter of a terabyte, do you know how much storage capacity your brain has when thought about in that same kind of way? 2,500 terabytes. What? Who said that? Who said what? So maybe yours doesn't then if you can't fathom that, but uh, everyone else's. It's my daughter, it's okay. She'll she'll get me later. Um, Two and a half thousand of Brent's computers, 10,000 of Alex's, and 1,250 of Flynn's supercomputers over here. That's a lot of storage, okay? They can take a lot of things, which means that your capacity in your brain to learn new things is pretty much unlimited, okay? Um, Now, I'm saying this because children, I heard, ask questions a lot. In fact, around 300 questions per day. That sound about right? Yeah. Adults, not so much. Adults ask, or have a guess, how many do you think adults ask per day? Three. A hundred, thirty. About thirty, all right? So quite a few less. And it's not because our brains are full as adults and we have a reduced capacity to learn. That's not the case at all. 
Perhaps it's because we have a reduced curiosity about life. We feel like we know what we want to know and we can't be bothered learning anything new. I'm not sure. I'm saying this because as I look at the passage, I'm really struck by King Herod and his curiosity. Herod hears about what's happening and what, is he, what, is he, what are people saying has happened? What, what are people saying? Who's, who is this that the message is going out about? They're saying John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets of old. And Herod's like, well, it can't be John because I bumped him off. But who is this? And he's curious. And at the end of verse 9, and he sought to see him. He wants to see Jesus. There's a curiosity in Herod. Who's this message about? I've got to learn more about this. Unfortunately, Herod's a classic adult. Ah, 30 questions a day. And he runs out of questions. And he can't be bothered following through. Okay? As far as I'm aware, he does not ever go and see Jesus at this particular time. If he, did, if he does, it's not recorded. He, he talks to Jesus at least once, we know, um, which is at the end, right near the crucifixion. Um, but it, it's a bit different uh, to this particular scenario. And as best as we know, Herod never becomes a follower of Jesus. He's curious about the message, but never follows through, which is a shame. Maybe his curiosity drops off. That's worth thinking about our approach to the spread of the kingdom, isn't it? Because if we know that adults ask less questions than children, okay, one thing we should focus on is having a good children's ministry. It's important, isn't it? Because they ask questions and their stats go around all the time. There's always slightly different numbers, but at what age did someone become a Christian? For between 70 and 80% of people, it's before the age of 18 they became a Christian. Which means 20 to 30% of people became Christians after the age of 18. Which is remarkable given they're asking 10 times less questions of life. Their curiosity may have gone down somewhat. But I wonder um, how much we take that seriously. If we just think, well, just worry about the kids and the adults, we'll just give up on. We shouldn't do that, should we? A survey taken uh, showed that 2% of churchgoers invited someone to church in the last 12 months. 2%. This is across Australia. And on the flip side, 40% of Australians who don't go to church would respond if invited. There's a curiosity out there, isn't there, like Herod? A curiosity. But like Herod, people will fall off because they don't ask enough questions. I want to ask us, are we willing to be bold to ask the question of the curious people, to find out who they are and see if they want to come and hear more? Come and see who this Jesus is. Who is he? He sought to see him. Are we willing to say, come and see? Super Sunday next week. Easter. The life course. All the things coming up. Meet Jesus' mission later. Any given Sunday, people could come and hear about Jesus. Now we come back to um, uh, verse 10 in the passage. We have the, um, the feeding of the 5,000. Um, it's maybe a familiar passage for some of us. Um, I want to note just really one thing here. A big crowd comes to see Jesus. He's teaching about the kingdom of God and healing, which is what the apostles have been doing on their mission. So the same thing's going on, but this time people are coming to Jesus. And in, in verse 12, the day begins to wear away. And the 12 came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. The, the apostles say, the, his followers say to him, send them off. We've got no food to feed them. And Jesus says to them something a bit shocking. You give them something to eat. Imagine being there. Put yourself in the apostles' shoes. You've done the right thing. You've done this mission. And you've gone out there and told people. And now here's Jesus and 5,000 have come to him in the wilderness. And he's teaching them. And you're like, oh, look, just, Jesus, just for what it's worth. It's getting late in the day. Your teaching's wonderful. Let's send them home. And then they can come back again later. And Jesus says, you feed them. 
What would you say? I'll tell you what I'd say. Uh, oh. Where's your backpack going, Alex? Oh, it's over there. Oh, this is what I'd do. I'd be like, um, oh, it's not worth it now that I have to ask for it, but I'd get my backpack and I'd be like, I've only got a packet of Captain's Table's crackers. Jesus, what do you want me to do with that? And he'd say, what is wrong with you? Um, because shouldn't I have known better? Because didn't I just go on a mission and, and, and he supplied all my needs? I didn't even take my captain's crackers with me. Shouldn't I have known that he would provide for 5,000? What it shows us here is that Jesus' power is not limited by the scale of people involved. Okay, he can take care of me and he can provide for me through other people as I go on this journey. Wonderful. I mean, I was speaking to someone recently who, um, uh, a missionary overseas, one thing they do is they go and scout out new areas for missionaries to go to. And they just go into towns where there's no hotels. They get welcomed by people there. They share the good news. It still happens. Jesus provides, right? And we, we can come at that. But then when we go, well, it's beyond my understanding. It's too big for me to comprehend. We limit Jesus' power somewhat, don't we? He couldn't do that, could he? Well, I'll tell you what, he can. Because we see it right here. They say, we've only got five loaves and two fish. Which is far more than a packet of Captain's Crackers, for what it's worth. But even still, it wouldn't feed 5,000. And Jesus has them sit down, gives it out, and everyone eats, and there's leftovers. When we think about God's provision in our lives, can he only provide for me in things that someone else could help me with? Or can he do more than I could possibly imagine? Are there bigger things that he can do? Back in 1978, there was a Japanese graphic designer by the name of Tomoyuki Ono, and he came up with a new invention. I'm pretty sure I've talked about this at some stage at church in my life. A few of you remember it. Okay. He invented square watermelons. Wonderful things, aren't they? Uh, and the, 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 the rationale is quite simple. Watermelons. Who's ever put, tried to put a watermelon in their fridge? Anyone? Just, just me and Violet and Brent. Okay. Have you ever tried to put two watermelons in your fridge? It's not, it's not humanly possible, is it? Because they take up all the space as one. But if they're square, they stack nicely together. It's brilliant. That's kind of the idea here, right? Um, to make them, it's not as hard as it sounds. Um, you actually just put them in a box and they grow to the shape of the box. Does anyone grow watermelons? Well, now you might. Oh, I can make square ones. Now, here's the real good thing. Has anyone ever tried to cut a watermelon? Yeah, how is it going, Jordan? How does it go? Very difficult. And if it's square... Quite easy. Bang, bang, off you go. It'd be like cutting a piece of bread up for a baby. It'd be so easy. Um, the watermelons, but to grow them, you just put them in a box and they grow to the shape around them. Now, we come to verse 18. We see Jesus asking his followers who he is because he doesn't want them just to grow to the shape of the world that they're in. He says, who do people say that I am and what do people say? What are the answers in verse 19? John the Baptist, Elijah or one of the prophets. Where have you heard those answers before? Herod's answers, the same things that Herod was hearing, right? So it's the same stuff, okay? That's word on the street, but Peter says, the Christ of God, in verse 20, you are the Messiah. And Jesus is like, yes, this is right, okay? This is correct. He tells them what's going to happen to him in verse 22. He's going to die and rise on the third day. That's plain. And then he says, in verse 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily, and follow me. Jesus says, if you are going to follow me, you're going to be shaped by my ways. To deny yourself and take up your cross doesn't literally mean uh, to go and die and be crucified. No, it means every day, refresh yourself to say, 
I'm going to follow Jesus and his ways. Because if we try and, 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 and do, do it another way, in verse 24, for whoever would save his life will lose it. If we try and strive and shape ourselves by ourselves or let the world shape us, then it won't work out for us. But to follow Jesus, whoever loses his life for my sake, will save it. To follow Jesus is to be saved. The one who dies and rises in glory says to you, if you die, you will rise in glory. Or when you die, because we all will, you will rise in glory. There's a South African politician who was laid to rest, and um, according to his final wishes, he was laid to rest in his beloved Mercedes E-Class. There it is there. There was a picture of him actually sitting in the E-Class. I thought that was a bit gruesome, so I thought I'd just tell you about it, not show you it. Um, this E-Class was broken down. It didn't work. The only thing that worked in it was the radio. And uh, so he, day by day, it was parked out the front of his house. Day by day, he would walk out of his house, sit in the car, turn the radio on and listen to it because he loved his Mercedes-Benz E-Class. And he had a real affinity for it because earlier in his life, he'd been very successful and he had a whole fleet of these cars. He loved the cars so much. But his business went, went, went bust and he ended up with a broken down E-Class out the front of his house. And tragically, he died on the walk from his house to the E-Class one day. And according to his final wishes, his broken body was put in that broken car and put into the grave. That's a bit sad, isn't it? Because this guy defined himself by that car. Success for him was when he had a fleet, but in death, his broken body was put in that broken car into the grave. And I think we're worried as Christians that that's what life has to be like for us. Take up your cross and follow me, says Jesus. And we think, okay, so we've got to adopt a broken way of life. We've got to take on failure and live an inferior life until finally our little broken body gets put in the grave and then Jesus will bring us back. But I want to put to you, it's actually the opposite to that. You're actually being freed from living a broken life if you trust in Jesus. Um, We know he died. We know he rose again to glory. He gives us a glorious new body, but life in the present is not a broken way. There's something to find reassurance in because God knows best how life on this world works. Our society says, be shaped the way everyone else is. And we say, yeah, if I'm going to follow Jesus, it's like going from having, a, from having everything the world has to being a broken down Mercedes Benz owner. But that's not true at all. You are going from being a broken down Benz owner to being someone whose place at the eternal banquet table is guaranteed and who's set free to assess life in the present and say, what actually is important? What actually makes a difference? Because Jesus pays the price, rises again, and will come to take you to be with him in glory. See, in verse 26, he's coming with his angels. Um, He says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. The corollary is also true, isn't it? If you're not ashamed of his words, well, look what is coming your way. So I want to come back to uh, where we started with the question of what we rely on. We knew the answer. What was the answer? God or Jesus? Okay, good. So how does that work out for us when we think about different life scenarios? When you are in a new chapter of life, moving house, empty nest, or, or, or new school, somewhere, what does relying on Jesus look like there? Or what about on the home front? The family dynamic changes, there's tension, maybe there's stress in your workplace, maybe your finances are under the pump. Or maybe there's a health condition which you wish you had never found out about, but you have, and it's horrible. Because we know how to rely on our intellects, don't we? We know how to try and do some research and figure out what to do. We know how to ask an expert, a doctor or or an accountant or something, help me with this. 
We know how to ask someone else to step in. We know how to look for answers the way the world does. And I want to put it to you that if we make no conscious effort, that's all we're going to do. That's how we're going to live. There's nothing wrong with the, the skills and talents God's given people. All right? Nothing wrong with seeking that advice. But we can't rely on those things. We can't see them as the ultimate end game. It's God who's given the doctor the insight. It's God who's given the psychologist the ability to ask hard questions. But ultimately, it's God who's given it. And if we rely on them and take our eyes off God, we start thinking, well, that's the person who can help me. And without offending doctors or psychologists or accountants or or ministers, none of us are the ultimate authority in life. We might be good at our jobs. We might not be. Either way, none of us are ultimately reliable. We're like that security guard from the start, aren't we? Left alone to our own devices, eventually we're going to pull that fish off. That's how we all are in our fields in life. The watermelons, the um, square watermelons, you can grow watermelons in any shape you want. Um, you can grow them in uh, heart shapes, triangles, whatever. You just put them in a box and they'll grow to that shape, okay? Amazing, isn't it? So why aren't we seeing more of these things? I'll tell you why. Because for the watermelon to take that shape on, it needs to be harvested before it is ripe, which makes it an inedible watermelon, useless and good for an ornament, looks great, but ultimately achieves nothing. That's what happens if we just let our life be shaped by our society. We're going to become someone who's got some sort of fumbling around to some wisdom, but trusting in ourselves ultimately. And, and that can never give you life beyond the grave. Whereas Jesus says, trust in me. And you'll find a peace that you can't find when you're asking someone for help because they can't give it to you. You have to look beyond them. There's a peace that God can give you. There's an assurance that he can give you because nothing, not even the grave, can separate you from his love. There's a comfort he can give you because he says to you, you're my followers and as you go in this world, I'll provide for you. You don't have to try and grab more stuff for yourself. Great, have stuff. Use it well. Share it. If you haven't got as much as someone else, it doesn't matter. Because they could be buried in their car, but they can't take it with them. See, Jesus provides for your needs. And he has power to provide beyond what we can see. We have ideas about how we want things to work, but is that because we're being shaped by the world's box? Shouldn't we take up our cross daily and follow Jesus and say, Lord, how would you have me live? Shape me. Let me be those... The, the one who follows you, who relies on you, who looks to you in hard times, and yes, uses the wisdom of those around, but ultimately comes back to the good news, the news that people are curious about, the news that we have to share, the news that comforts us and brings real healing to this world. Let me pray. Father, help us to be those who do trust in what your son has done, and what he is doing in our lives, day by day, and for all eternity. Father, shape us to the challenge of not conforming to this world, of being those who see your good ways, finding peace, joy, comfort, and exalting in them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.